Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. In this episode, we sit down and chat with the amazing Matt Davis, who you may also know as Diva Attenborough. By day, Matt is a biologist who is in the process of completing a PhD. By night, Matt transforms into Diva Attenborough, the Nigel Thornberry of drag. This episode, we discuss the intersection between science and art and the importance of diverse representation, both in science communication and in the queer community. This was a super fun episode to record, and we hope you have just as much fun listening. Matt, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so welcome. So the first question that we always ask is, if you were to introduce yourself at this point in time, how would you do that? Hi, I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm very tired. Uh, I'm in the midst of uh, PhD submitting soon. Mm-hmm. Um, life is slightly in shambles, but we're surviving. As, as, um, as Reba McIntyre once said... I'm a survivor. Love, love. I think you're the first person to ever answer with a quote. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it, I'm here for it. Inspirational quotes. I go straight to Reba. <laughs> and so uh, you're about to submit your PhD. Yep. On? Uh, so I study, I'm a wildlife biologist. I study how different species um, move slash behave in response to water, mm-hmm. uh, mainly out in arid uh, Australia. So my PhD is mainly looking at large mammals. So I look mainly at kangaroos and feral goats, um, how they interact around water resources and how rain, especially because it's an arid zone, how rain can really impact their movements and where they're spending their time. Interesting. How did you... So this is... And I feel like I ask this question every single time I have somebody who has done a PhD or is doing a PhD, which is quite a lot for this podcast, <laughs> actually, because Tara knows a lot of PhD a lot people. Of us. There's so many of you. Um, how did you get into that? Because it's niche. Yeah, it's very niche. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's it wasn't my first choice. Uh, it wasn't my second either. <laughs> um so originally, I was supposed to be doing a different PhD project, which was looking at, still looking at large mammals and water, mm. um, but I was supposed to be kind of working off of my master's, okay. um, which was looking at waterhole use by different species in Botswana, okay. so working in Southern Africa, and then I came to Australia because my master's supervisor, her PhD supervisor, was from UNSW. So I was like, ah, I'll work with him. Mm -hmm. He was like, yeah. So um, came to Australia, got it all sorted, went back to the US for, um, to see my family and to pick up all my equipment. Before I headed straight to Botswana, I was in the US, I was supposed to be in the US for a week. I was there for four months. Uh, waiting for research permits. Uh, There was a huge, I'm not going to go too much into it, but there was a huge um, issue with the organization I worked with in Botswana and the Botswanan government. There was a lot of um, things said and things uncovered by the NGO I worked with that the Botswana government didn't want public knowledge. And um, that's uh, what happens when you take that knowledge that people don't want public and you go to the BBC and 
Um, so there were, yeah, lots of issues with that. And I kind of unfortunately got tied up in that. And they kind of refused to give me research permits essentially by just not giving me one. And it got to a point where my supervisor was like, why don't you just come back to Australia and we'll figure something else out. So that's what I did. And we were all set to do a big project on kangaroo movement. Uh, And then the drought kind of continued and there were no kangaroos left to study. (laughs) So we kind of went with the only thing that was still alive and it was goats. Wow. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into the goats. Goats, which are kind of like the cockroaches of the mammal world. That's what I say. Right. <laughs> they are literally the cockroaches of the mammals. Yeah. And yeah. they eat anything. And... They'll eat anything and they will survive literally anything. Okay. Wow. Maybe they're running by your same, the same that same motto that you quoted earlier. Yeah, they're, they're survivors. survivors and there you go. <laughs> Single moms that work two jobs. <laughs> That's it. They love their kids. Oh my god. And never stop. Oh my god. Here we go. Gentle hooves and hearts to fire. They're survivors. (laughs) There you go. We got some nice nice little ties already. Wrap up the podcast now. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I feel like there's a lot to cover in that. A lot to unpack in that. I know. We've mentioned Botswana. We've mentioned um, being, you know, mentioned America. We've mentioned coming to Australia. Where do you want to go with that? (laughs) Or, I mean,. I'm obviously American. So and that was my worst. There. That was my worst question I've ever asked too. I'm like, yeah. where do you want to go with that? Where like, <laughs> should we go with this? Tell me about like where were you born or? Yeah, so I was born in Connecticut, mm-hmm. the U.S. Uh, my family is East Coast, originally from the East Coast. So my dad, my mom is um, Pennsylvania, Connecticut. Mm. Uh, my dad is New Hampshire, but. Boston, Massachusetts okay. kind of vibe. Ah, okay. So my dad has a Boston accent. Like, right. It's pretty thick. And um, <laughs> But when I was 10 months old, we moved to Germany and then grew up in Germany for a little bit and then moved back to the States uh, to Chicago and then moved back to Europe to Switzerland. Oh my God. And I did high school in Switzerland. Really? And then um, graduated in Switzerland, went to the UK for my undergrad and my master's. And then was working in between in Southern Africa. To I, I was volunteering and then working in Southern Africa since I was like 16. Um, and that's kind of how all that... Uh, how that happened in Botswana. How Botswana... Okay, now yeah. it's, I feel like it's tying together it's tying a together. little bit. Yeah, it's all coming together now in my brain. Um, so kind of grew up in Switzerland-ish. Yeah, I'd say like the formative... like teen years Mm -hmm. in Switzerland so I was in Switzerland from like 14 15 to like 18 okay before moving to you said the UK for your undergrad and masters was that Scotland or the so I did my undergrad in Scotland Mm -hmm. in Aberdeen and my masters in London okay ah okay cool so when you first started on your education journey what did you what did you start with so my undergrad was uh, wildlife management. Okay. So it's, I've always been a nature animal person. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, I mean, like I said, I was volunteering since I was like 16. Uh, and it was always like wildlife rehabilitation, wildlife research. I started like a um, conservation society at my high school. 
I was on like the whole school boards like as a student rep, like the Green Committee. Mm-hmm. So I was a very like environmental, wildlife, nature person. Um, like my favorite activity was I think I had when I lived in Switzerland in Zurich, I had a zoo membership. Like a year, like my family had like a zoo membership. There was one year I went to the zoo. It was like, I want to say 60-something or 70-something times in a year. Oh the same my zoo. God. <laughs> Just in, the, in a year. That's all I want to wait. Yeah. That was like my, like, I love that activity, fun stuff. <laughs> like, it was, like, there would be weeks I'd go, like, multiple times. Yeah. So oh. I was just like, um, but I loved the zoo in Zurich. Like, I mean, obviously zoos are very controversial and people have different opinions. But Swiss, like Zurich Zoo is so, so, so great. Um, lots of conservation work. And because obviously like Switzerland in the winter, it's cold. The stuff, they had this massive greenhouse that was made to replicate a specific national park in Madagascar in this greenhouse. Wow. And it was like a mass, massive. Like there was like waterfalls and like, like full jungle in a greenhouse. They'd have like lemurs, like hopping around freely in the greenhouse um all sorts of like bird life and and i I would just remember i would go like take a book and i would go sit like i had a pet membership i'd go sit like in the greenhouse in the middle of winter and read surrounded by lemurs and stuff see that sounds actually delightful and i think when i hear i went to the zoo you know 60 times in a year i think of zoos here in australia where it's sort of like you walk around for half yeah. an hour and then you're done. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I did that stuff too. Yeah. I would go like see all the animals and do all the stuff. Yeah, but then, yeah, yeah, sometimes I would just go like chill in the big greenhouse. And that's, that's nice. And so this love of animals obviously led you into doing your PhD. Yeah. Um, but also, is this where Diva comes from too? Yes. Okay. That's, yeah, Diva, drag, drag persona, Diva Attenborough. Um, obviously stems from David Attenborough. Shocker, shocker, shocker. It's a great, it is a great one. It's it, like, I think it's a really good drag name. Uh, yeah, it's epic. It's a perfect pun. Yeah. It perfectly works. It's like a good, good play on word drag name. And um, yeah, I I remember when I started drag, I always wanted to do something science related. Um, obviously, like drag, when I started out, I was like, no, I need to focus on building myself as a like establishing myself as a drag performer right. in Sydney so I did the kind of classic like lip sync nights and the classic you know open yeah open micy type things mm. um clubby type performances and stuff and once I like established myself like okay no I'm a drag queen I'm here I do the, I do the drag stuff and then I was like cool I can do the science drag stuff now um but yeah, because that was kind of the, always the goal. The ulterior motive was always yeah, to yeah. Have the science in the drag. I was like, I'll make, <laughs> I'll make everybody, I'll force everyone to uh, watch me on stage to the point where I get booked enough, and then I'll start doing science for them. I love that. And they are forced to <laughs> learn True, we through can, drag. We plan. Through drag. Okay, so wait, so you didn't start doing drag until you were in Sydney? Yeah, I didn't start drag until COVID, lockdown. So I started dragging the first lockdown. Just as a way to kill time? Just as a way to kill time. I had been doing makeup for a while. Right. um, A few years. And then there was one of my um, drag friends 
posted on their story like, oh, I'm selling some of my wigs, doing this stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll buy one. Like, I've, I've got money and nowhere to spend it, I guess, right at the moment. <laughs> this was at the beginning of uh, lockdowns, too. So I was like, oh, I've got a little bit of money and I've got nowhere to spend it because obviously we can't go anywhere. So um, might as well buy a wig. And I coincidentally bought the wig. Um, brought it home, got dressed, like put makeup on, put the wig on, put like a little outfit on. It was like a shitty like ASOS shirt or something yeah. that was like a blousey type thing. And I, that was my first time in drag. And then coincidentally, I looked at the at like the calendar or something, and it was unplanned. David Attenborough's birthday. No. Yeah. Don't ask me the date. <laughs> But you can look it up, and that's the dance chart in drag. I love, wow. But yeah, coincidentally, the same is his birthday. The stars aligned. So it was, and, and Diva was, was born. Diva was born. It was kind of just like, oh, that's meant to happen. Absolutely. Perfect. Next step would be to get, like, fan mail from David Attenborough, like, Sir David Attenborough. Like, oh, I don't think Just, I heard that, uh, I heard that I there's a, there's, me, there's another persona of me. Can't even write anymore, like... <laughs> He's been around for a while. There we go. 8th of May. That's it. Tara, Tara has just pulled up. Um, mm. Oh my God. 1926. Yeah. I started almost 1926 and I started drag. So almost a hundred years after he was born. Holy shit. How old is he now? Nine, oh my God. So I started drag. What? He would have been 94. But yeah, yeah, so that was the start of that. And okay. then I guess I was lucky with that because I missed out on a large phase that many a drag queen go through where they go out looking awful. Really? Yes. There's a there's a there's a good phase. Some still in that phase. <laughs> Not gonna say who. But um you know who you are. Um no, there's definitely a phase of when you start drag where you go to those open like lip sync nights and you think you are the most beautiful creature in the world when in actuality you are garbage you look so bad <laughs> and i had that i had that like when i first started lip syncing and stuff i looked a mess but less of a mess than i would have if i didn't have months in lockdown to just sit there pretty much every day pop makeup on practice really? Yeah, there was something else to do. So you loved it straight away, or...? Yeah, I mean, I always loved... I mean, I was a very artistic kid. Mm -hmm. I worked very... I worked a lot in, like, theater productions. I loved, like, stage stage managing stuff. Mm -hmm. I loved costuming. I loved makeup. And so it was just a really... I mean, obviously, I'm a scientist, so I don't get to do a lot of that. Mm. Um... So lockdown was kind of the perfect time to be like, oh, actually, I have tons of time. I can kind of get back to doing some more creative things. And it was good because other than that, I'm pretty sure I just played Animal Crossing like, the whole time. Like most people. <laughs> still has to do with animals. Yeah. Which still has to do with animals. Yeah. <laughs> and like picking fruits and fishing. <laughs> yeah. Filling a museum. That's what you do in Animal Crossing. You collect things for a museum. Yeah. I was like. Oh, Talk to a pigeon in a cafe. I'm like, technically this counts as my PhD, right? I'm still contributing <laughs> to my work. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think that that was the nice bit was I did drag quite a lot. So it's sort of that intersection between creativity and science. Yeah, and in, well, that's the I guess the makeup side. Like there are bits of science when it comes to like 
finding how to blend things and how stuff works with your skin and how to make it like look not terrible mm-hmm. and um and then you have the creative side obviously of doing makeup okay. but yeah and I mean having those months in lockdown helped me develop as well like how I wanted at least my physical appearance as a like as a drag performer mm-hmm. how I wanted to look and how mm-hmm. I wanted to I guess come across mm-hmm. um in my makeup and things like that and that's where that kind of stemmed from and so you you have all this time in lockdown to refine what you want to look like yeah physically and then you go out and you perform yeah what's that like performing for the first time or performing for the first few times or was that normal because you had already done theater production and so it wasn't um, as so I was never theater on stage ah. I was always behind the scenes okay. stage managing like I was not a not a I did one production mm-hmm. and I was I was miserable um, I hated it so I think the thing though with drag is that you don't necessarily feel like yourself it's it's like it, it ha- it's having like a little bit of that comfort blanket of like oh like nobody really knows who I am mm. right now mm-hmm. like I'm wearing a costume I'm dressed like a clown and I'm a big music person I love music and so it's and drag's a really fun opportunity for me to be like I mean I find I listen to music that isn't always made for drag um, or a club mm-hmm. and so but I still like performing it so it's just, it's fun in that aspect and yeah I was never I was I mean I was probably like nervous actually I mean my first lip sync in drag was actually my second like lip sync because I remember it was months later and I went to a um I went to the Imperial uh, in Erskineville and I got pulled on stage during like a dragon dine um, by the drag queen that sold me my wigs because I was I was almost in like drag face makeup but wearing like normal clothes and it was like a Christmassy one and she pulled me on stage and she was like you're gonna lip sync right now and I was terrified in that moment no kidding because I wasn't really in drag and it was and I was with like friends. And I was like, this is terrible. No pressure. Uh, to Mariah Carey's All I Want For Christmas Is You, which I didn't actually know all the words to it, which is criminal at the time. But, and then, yeah, then it was fine. Once I did that, and then, yeah, my first actual lip sync and drag, I was like, because I, I looked a mess, but I thought I looked amazing. And I just had fun with it. I'm trying to think, what was my first song? It was... Natasha Bedingfield, these words, but I made a mix where I put in a bunch of like different movie quotes. Oh really? Yeah. That's cute. So it was it was cute. It was fun. I had a good time. It's I do remember. It. It I have it on film somewhere. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that sounds really laptop. nice. Yeah. The, oh. mem- the memories. Memories, and so you've made your way up in the drag world, mm-hmm. and you're now getting booked. And so much so that you're you're able to speak about science now. Yeah, like I think I've reached a point in in my drag career. I mean, I'm still like um, nowhere near like Sydney's most known top drag queens. Nowhere near that. Um, I mean, <laughs> but it's it's very um, 
I'm at a posi- I'm in a position where I am confident in my drag mm. and my I know my worth as a performer mm. to be able to if I wanted to go to specific venues and say, hey, I want to do this, or would you be interested in doing this show? Mm. Like, or um, I get asked to do a bit more unique stuff. I've been asked to do a lot more science stuff, particularly around like Mardi Gras and things, because there is that kind of, I guess, demand for, um, I guess, like queer people aren't just club people and not just Mardi Gras parade people. Yeah, and heaven forbid, great people have yeah, day other, jobs. Yeah, and heaven forbid, some of us just want to sit here and drink tea with a fireplace. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think it's very, not, especially this past World Pride Mardi Gras season was when I really noticed the difference because I think last year I had maybe like one or two little things mm. um, going on for Mardi Gras. And I don't know if any of them were actually paid. And this year, it was three weeks straight of drag. I think I was out of drag two days in the three weeks. That sounds exhausting. To the the point where I would finish hosting a party or something at like two in the morning, come home, sleep in my makeup, (gasps) wake up in the morning, touch up my makeup because I had to be at my next gig at like eight or nine in the morning. Oh my God. And that was like three weeks straight. So it was really, really hectic. And it was exhausting and I hated every second of it, but I also loved every minute of it because it was a really kind of um, validating experience to be like, okay, no, like I'm, I'm in the scene now. Mm. Like people, like corporations are reaching out for me to do stuff. The museum, like powerhouse museum reached out to do for me to do stuff. Like um, Australian museum did and then didn't. <laughs> tisk, tisk. Nah, they're maybe fine. maybe maybe next year they'll uh... maybe next year they no they booked a um I think it was something like they um had already booked through like a there's like a drag couple drag queen like um companies oh. where you can like it's like run by a drag queen or like an entertainment group mm. and they have like drag queens on their rosters right, and things right, like right. that and so when they were like oh we just don't have it in our budget to also have you right. and I was like because yes I'm so expensive <laughs> um, not say about really, for me next but, year uh, next year yeah. but no I've done stuff like a lot of stuff at the powerhouse museum now right um, obviously some really fun science comedy stuff we've gotten into don't need to speak too much more on that <laughs> um <laughs> But some yeah, some really, really cool opportunities, particularly this year, um, where I've really been like, whoa, okay, like now I can and once my PhD is done, I have I fun ideas and then I'll have the time to work on it. Right. Because I don't have the time right now to do the fun stuff. Right. So when you finish the PhD yeah. though, you wanna focus more on the psychom Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's what I started with drag like that's why I started drag. I wanted to I feel like it's very niche. I feel like it's something, particularly with my PhD, because of all the issues that I talked about with the changing the projects and this and that. And I, I kind of fell out of love with not just my PhD, but just science in general. I found it not fun anymore. I really hated, like, tra- I hate, like, traditional academia, traditional ways of learning and drag and the kind of, I guess inspiration I had to do drag and all these fun ideas I've come up with and the opportunities I've been able to do have really kind of helped me fall back in love with science Mm. and being like no 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 like science 
like in nature is, is still something that's really important to me and something I really love. And drag has just provided a new opportunity to explore. Pre- like explore that information and present it to other people. Because I say in drag a lot, I'm like a scientist of the people because I love science and I love nature, but I hate lectures. I hate reading journal articles. I hate, like I hate traditional ways of learning mm. because I'm a very like undiagnosed ADHD hard to focus mm-hmm. highly anxious person mm-hmm. that trying to sit there for like if I'm if it's a, if it's not like a David Attenborough documentary talking about it and it's just a boring science lecture I'm not going to pay attention and I've always been like that absolutely I mean you and most of the population too exactly. I mean the research even um, backs up what you're saying yeah the, the traditional I say this in like little air quotes, traditional methods of education and learning, they don't work for a majority of people because we're not designed to sit down and absorb words from a book or absorb words from a lecture. And where, when I say where, I say that academia or our current education system are churning out people who are massively disenfranchised with things that they were previously passionate about. That's the thing. And I look at like how I best learned science and or about just wildlife. It doesn't need to necessarily be fully scientific, but just nature and wildlife in general. And interestingly, it was Steve Irwin. Really? And it would and despite the controversies that surround Steve Irwin from the science community, because there are a few, um, somebody so passionate and energetic and just consistently looking like they were having such a good time. Like, he just looked like he was having such a good time um, teaching people about stuff. Mm. And I was like, that's that's what I want to do. And I feel like drag is a really interesting venue to do yeah. that through. Mm. Just because it's almost like two birds with one stone. Because I feel like there's all this... There's a lot of attack from, I guess, more conservative groups on science, <laughs> as well as the queer community and drag in particular, yeah. relatively late, um, as of late. Um, lots yeah. of attack on drag. Yeah, hugely. Um, and I think it's just a really unique opportunity to be like, and like, that's the thing. I mean, I speak with conservative people consistently. I come from a, my family's relatively conservative background. I worked in southern africa in conservative communities i like it's it's a it's not a most of it is an ignorance because of they've never interacted with it Mm. and the the most fun i have is people that are in relatively conservative communities or things if i'm in drag but i'm like just like chill and just i talk like this i'm just like I'm just like, yeah, bro, like, whatever. <laughs> and they're just, I think they just can get, and I like, I mean, you can't see a podcast, I guess, but like, I, I keep my facial hair, I keep my like body hair in drag. I'm just like, it's not a traditional, mm. like, I'd say I'm more clown than anything else. And I think <laughs> that that, when I start being like that, people are a little bit like, oh, okay, okay. And then I'm like, so science climate change uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you break the ice with the drag break the and ice you with like the drag get in like, the science okay let's go the real contra- like controversial thing now right like covid vaccines <laughs> um it's 
Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying too about sort of being in drag in more conservative sort of groups or communities, especially because I think it's also harder to hate something when it's right in front of you. I think it's easier to oppose an idea, but then when that reality is sitting right in front of you, suddenly that's a very different ball game. Well, yeah, and we think about drag and we think about... Australia is a really good example of Australian, I guess, ideas around drag come from mainly two places. You have RuPaul (laughs) and you have Dame Edna. And you look at the difference and Dame Edna, obviously straight man in drag, Mm. Mm well-beloved, very much beloved character for the whole country. RuPaul, queer person, different story. Mm. Beloved by most queer people, or some queer people, not all, um, and a lot of younger straight people. But it's it's. I think it's you have these two ideas of drag, and that's all you see. Right. And if we can start showing a bit more, yeah, and a bit, oh, I guess a bit more diverse representation of drag, people will start being like, oh, it's not just these these two dichotomies. Yeah. Do you think that that has to do with the sexuality of both of those people? I think definitely. I think there's definitely, um, like, queerness is is a overarching reason why there would be, an, I guess, an issue. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, obviously, queer media is so much better than it used to be. Mm. There was really very, very little representation when I was younger. Mm. The best way to compare it is you have... And this is a very, I guess, niche example, but you have something like RuPaul's Drag Race, where it's an amazing thing and it shows off drag to a wider audience and all this stuff, but it shows off a very particular type of drag Mm -hmm. to the point where a lot of younger drag queens coming up these days are made for that drag. Like, their drag is surrounded around RuPaul's Drag Race, when really, that's just the tiniest little like a sliver of the drag community as a whole. Mm -hmm. And if you think about somebody in a more rural community who's maybe they are interested in popping on RuPaul's Drag Race, that's all they see. And then you go to a bar and then you see somebody like me. It's getting better these days. There are, there have been like bearded drag queens and things on Drag Race before, but see someone like me doing like science chats and they're just like, what? Like, what is this? Mm. So I think it's getting better, but not quite there yet. Which is good, and I think this is the importance of of representation and yeah. of diverse representation, not only for people who are queer or, or, or are a minority or do want to get into drag, but also for the wider population yeah. in general, so that there is a realisation that it's not just one particular stereotype. Yes, like it's good. It's good visibility, not just for queer people, but also for the society. It's like it's almost that dual, like important for queer people to see non-traditional queerness represented. I mean, not non-traditional, I guess. Non-traditionally, I guess displayed mm. queer mm-hmm. queerness um, out in daily life but then also same for the wider community seeing something other than I guess what they're fed yeah totally absolutely I wish as a younger person 
that I had seen more queer representation than what I did see because it was just sort of yeah I don't know Rocky Horror Show and like <laughs> <laughs> Queer Eye Queer Eye yeah right and the L word and yeah I think yeah it was very um I mean I was very late to the to the queer realization game and I think. A lot of that. So sorry. Yeah. 26. I, I think, yeah, it was 24, 25, mm-hmm. so similar. I think it was just very, um, well, not that it was late to, like, the realization. I think, I mean, it was, it was late coming out and late to, I guess, recognize it more freely. But right. it was, it was always just something that I was like, oh, I'm a query type person and that's not something I need in my life, so why even recognize it, almost? Mm-hmm. Which was the case back then. Um, but yeah, I think it's also like visible, like visibility for science as well. Mm-hmm. I think like within science, we forget that there's like scientists are made of so many different types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we forget that sometimes that, you know, particularly if you're involved in a science that is traditionally a lot of just old white straight men running around. So for me to literally like David Attenborough, you got like Steve Irwin, <laughs> you got like like the people we really think about. Yeah, probably the only wildlife biologist I can really think about that is a non-straight white man is like Jane Goodall. Yeah, that's like probably the only one. Yeah, and even then, like she had to fight to mm. the nail. So I think like it's it's just yeah within science being like. I guess, a representative of, of diversity. Yeah, totally. And I suppose that being said, what advice would you have for young people who are wanting to get into science or who are even just curious about science? You've touched on um, sort of a love of animals and science since you were young, but then going into academia and having yeah. that sort of ruin for you and then reawakening through you know drag and and creativity so i guess what advice would you have for young people or anyone really look i am a full supporter of of education i think that's important but i think my biggest advice is just to remember that education comes in many forms it's not just a book it's not just a lecture it's it's something that it took me a really long time to figure out that you can learn like there are other ways of learning and look we live in a Americville minute well and we're in Enmore Enmore Americville Inner Inner West West, Inner West minute of waiting for the plane to go over um (laughs) no I think that yeah you just have to remember there are so many different ways of learning and unfortunately we live in a society that is so focused on like credentials Mm. and those credentials are earned in a traditional way and but you know science it doesn't you you don't need a phd to be a scientist you don't need a math like you don't need an undergrad to be a scientist purely going out and questioning the world and being curious about you know your surroundings and trying to learn and Mm. trying to answer questions or disprove I guess a lot of stuff um that was I mean yeah I think that's the biggest advice I can give is that don't let a lack of access to traditional ways of learning stop you from learning and seeking out information 
And there's there are so many like scientists like there's so many different scientists. There's always somebody just reach out. I think that was that took me a while to realize too. It's just to like an email, a call, or like a letter, whatever it is. Never hurts. Never hurts. Look, academics are notoriously very terrible at responding to emails, <laughs> but. Like, it never hurts to, like, ask. Mm. It never hurts to ask a question. Never hurts to ask for advice. If there's a scientist you see out there and you're like, whoa, I want to do that, or that's interesting, just, like, ask them for more. And if they tell you to screw yourself, then you go, well, I want to do their job but not be like that. Then, yeah. Because that's how you learn to be... A lot of times you learn to be a good scientist based on your interactions with terrible scientists. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that's... Same with just being a person, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Like, yeah, there's so many. I to be a good person purely because I don't want to be like that person. <laughs> so many young parents out there who are, being, mm. yeah, who are saying, I am not going to be anything like my parents. And yeah, parents Sometimes, are totally yeah. Way. I but, think, yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. Cause some people are just, some people are whiny babies, I think. <laughs> Of course, well, world wouldn't uh, wouldn't go around without without whiny babies to be upset about something. Some people had terrible parents. Some people are just spoiled brats. Absolutely. Oh, I had lovely parents. <laughs> I'm I adore lucky. my parents. Yeah. Yeah. Through all the struggles we've gone through, particularly surrounding um, queerness and as well, just my what can be perceived as laziness, but in most cases is just ADHD vibes. I don't want to say I don't have ADHD. Uh, oh, it's undiagnosed. Vibes. I've I I give off that vibe, um, <laughs> and I probably should talk to a doctor about it. <laughs> but after the PhD. After the PhD, I don't time now. But um, I think yeah, it's very. Um, oh, what are we talking about? <laughs> Your lovely parents and the ADHD. Yes, 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 yes. No, I think uh, I think yeah. Through all those struggles of. Um, all the countless hours of me not doing homework and then being like, why are you doing, like, you're not dumb. Why are you doing so terrible at school? And me just being like, I didn't do my homework. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I didn't want to. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not doing it because I can't. I'm doing it because I don't want to. Right. And years of that. Uh, and queerness, that's a whole other story. But we are in a very good place now. I adore my parents. So my final question, which which you may have an answer to and you may not, um, but is there anything that you wanted to cover or talk about that we haven't already covered? Oh. Anything that you want to share or news that you want out there in the world? I'm single, I'm ready to mingle. <laughs> I am on Christian mingle. <laughs> no, I am. I mean, I am single, but. Um, I don't know what can we talk about. I'm currently reading. Um, I like. Uh, I'm not a huge book person, but I'm currently reading Attached, um, which is on attachment styles. Oh my god! And I, because my housemate got me into it, mm-hmm. and reading it, it it's shady. It's sitting there just reading you. Oh the yeah. The book is reading you. It's going. Oh, I know exactly what you are. And then I so and it has little quizzes in it. And so I did a quiz last night. And I was like, oh, and then it's like, do this other quiz for other people, for like your current partner or an ex or something. And I did it. And then I was like, 
well, that makes sense because we're completely opposites with attachment styles. Mm -hmm. And that is why literally none of my relationships have ever worked. Oh my (laughs) God. The amount of people who I've heard who've read that book and yes, I feel like I need to read it. It's it's because I was far, lying when I when I first yeah, yeah, yeah. like thus far reading it I was like this isn't news but it makes a lot of sense oh yeah and then I did the um, the sixteen personalities thing today oh oh I did that today oh, I need to I'm who are you out. what so are you I need you? to pull my phone out because I don't actually remember but I am drum roll please I am a mediator INFP. I am, yeah, INFP, but the, the T one, the turbulent one. I'm an INFP too. Really? Yes. That's it. INFPs. I had a feeling you might be an INFP. Yeah. I've got another friend who's who also read the book on attachment styles. Okay. Um, Sarah Madden, her name is. She's great. You should check her out. Um, <laughs> but she is also an INFP. And yep. like, we clicked because we're like, oh, because I, I took the 16 personalities thing a couple weeks ago mm. and it gave me one that I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was, <laughs> but it was like, it was like a, like a harsh one. Right. And I was like, that doesn't sound like me. So I retook it today. Cause I was like, I did it really quickly on my phone a few weeks ago. And I was just like, blah, 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 like 10 minutes, just like, cool. This one, I actually sat down and I thought about it and I was like, oh, okay, this makes a little bit more sense reading through. Yeah. Um, but, the, but I'm, like, pretty even, still, like, in the middle on the board, um, yeah. which is cool. But um, what's your star sign? Oh, Virgo. What are you? Oh, really? Mm. I'm a Cancer. Oh, uh, interesting. Cancer sun, Cancer rising, Scorpio moon, triple water. Oh, wow. Yeah, that explains a lot of tears. <laughs> well, Tara's a Pisces, which is also Oh, the worst one. <laughs> the, the aloof one. The aloof water sign. My first guy that I ever really like dated, uh, he was a Pisces. Oh really? And he was, I'm gonna say fucking fucking miserable. <laughs> <coughs> Pisces men, no. Really? To date, no way. Good to know. It was just very. I mean, good to know you're married, so I don't think you need to care about it. I just meant for the listeners. for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> for the audience. For the audience. Have we avoided your Pisces men? I just think yeah, very. Um, but also uh, um, avoiding attachment. Ah, and I am an anxious attachment style person. So I was like, "You're not only a Pisces and just aloof in general, but you're also, but you're also avoidant." So I don't know how you're feeling at all. Right. And I spent the entirety of the time we dated thinking that they hated me. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, so to all <laughs> everybody listening. Go out and read the attached. Go out and read attached. If you are on CoStar, join CoStar. Figure out your astrology stuff because I am a scientist telling you <laughs> that it is okay to believe in the mumbo jumbo of astrology. And three, if you are a uh, queer man, uh, single, and um, not a Pisces, not a Pisces. But would love to date a cancer who has anxious attachment. <laughs> I'm waiting here. <laughs> At <laughs> I'm in the inner west, just waiting for you. Love it, love it. Yeah, under obviously under a uh, flight path. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the uh, the cough drops <laughs> and the cough or the tea, not coffee. Tea and bickies, some water. You know, making sure my throat is well lubricated. You're welcome. Because I am single, so no man's doing that. <laughs> so look, we we aim to please here. So <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank That's you. what all the lesbians say. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're all anxious and attached. All anxious, attached. Yeah, I'll I have to keep you in check though if we go get manicures. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. Don't want them too sharp. Never. <laughs> this was such a fun and liberating conversation to have. The running theme through a lot of Matt's stories is there is actually no need to adhere to the status quo in order to pursue your passions and curiosities. Matt is this incredible example of a person who forges their own path in a way that is truly authentic to them, be that in science, in education, in art, in the queer community, and in life. We left this chat feeling both encouraged and challenged to continue to discover and forge our own unique path. At Mirutterance, we want to create a community of storytellers, and so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment, or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation, and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us, and remember, everyone has a story, you just need to ask the right questions.